Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I I promised today's guest that I was going to behave because, um, you know, we there's a bit of rivalry we have between us and um, I, I did mention, I said, so if people heard us clowning, they probably wouldn't listen to us uh, much beyond the introduction. But I do have to state, for those uh, people who know uh, this next guest, um, and I'm happy to introduce to some of you, um, who is the executive director of uh, the Office of Human Trafficking Prevention in Baton Rouge. Um, and she is a uh, a social worker and uh, passionate uh, coordinator of, of resources and, and doing a lot of work on behalf of children and families uh, in the state of Louisiana. And we're going to talk about Louisiana and broadly today as well. But I'm pleased to um, introduce to you Dr. Dana Hunter, um, and she's going to talk to us about this really serious uh, um, issue in our country, but also in the state of Louisiana on the topic of human trafficking. So welcome, Dana. Thank you. Thank you so very much for having me. And I just, I tell you, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share with people. You would be surprised at the number of people who still say all over this country, uh, in the United States, they say, is human trafficking really real? You know, is this really happening? And, And so I just, I, I'm just so thankful that you're using this platform and allowing us to have this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, and thank you for taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule to come and talk about it. Um, and so, you know, I know you you're, with your background in social work, um, it, it's not a stretch to understand why you would be engaged in this work. And, I'm, I mean, congratulations on uh, being appointed uh, to this role because it's a newly created office, as I understand, in the state of Louisiana. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess the first thing I want to get out of the way is that, you know, a lot of people assume that, you know, when we say human trafficking, um, it is entirely, although it is a very major part of it, but that we're, all, we're only talking about sex workers or sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've read a lot of stories about, um, while that is important and a big part of it, that there are other aspects, other parts to human trafficking as well. And so I want us to cover that as well. Um, But I want to start with, so, you know, this is an office that uh, Governor Bell Edwards, um, John Bell Edwards, um, had created, and so which suggests that it is, a, uh, a real issue in the state of Louisiana. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about, so now, why why now? Maybe it's well overdue, but what what is it that, that um, really prompted the governor to start this office? 
So I will say over the last maybe five to ten years, more and more people are starting to um, uncover and realize this issue of human sex and labor trafficking. Um, more and more people are, are starting to um, identify, learn the signs, and as we learn the signs, we realize this is a serious problem. Um, in Louisiana, there was a law passed in 2014 that mandated the Department of Children and Family Services to collect data on uh, on services rendered to victims of human trafficking. Prior okay. to that, there was no data collection, um, no consistent data collection in our state, so this problem really had not um, been studied in a sense. Well, once mm -hmm. that law was passed and our department uh, started collecting data, presenting reports to the legislature, that year in 2015, I think there was like over 100 victims. That number mm. each year began to double. So what we saw was this upward trend of of victims being identified from 200, then 400, um, then as of last year, over 900, 972, 932 uh, total total victims served. And so people begin to realize, and, and not only that, but hearing numbers such as uh, age ranges, so the, the youngest victim, age two, are hearing um, a, a baby being sold at five months old. Um, wow. So from the age going from as young as five months old to age 65. So when we began to get a picture of some of these victims, what it looked like, the, um, and, and being able to see that it wasn't just a black issue or a white issue, it was, you know, 50% white, 50% black, you know. And so beginning, as we begin to get this data and see the numbers and see the demographics of this issue, many people across the state begin to say, whoa, we need to take a look at this. And I remember when I um, came on at the governor's office, was appointed by the governor, it was everything was such perfect timing because there was a high-profile case in the governor's hometown, which he speaks publicly about. And this young girl was found in a dog kennel. She oh. had been trafficked by her family, over eight family members, uh, trafficked her, labor and sex trafficked her for, uh, for years. And she was finally rescued and found living in a dog, a human a young mm -hmm. female living in a dog kennel, being made to eat in a dog kennel. Being, her food was brought to her in the basement of a home in a dog kennel. They shot her with BB guns close in close range. They made her eat her mom's um, her mom's ashes. Her mom was deceased. They took the ashes out of the urn and they made her eat them, mixed it with milk. This is your food. They made her work. Um, they took her disability check. They made her work. She didn't see any of the money. And so when that, that case, as, as Governor Edwards and First Lady Edwards speak of, they say this was in our own backyard. They're like, we live in a small town. And if this can happen in our very community, how many other communities across the state and really across the country is this issue happening in? And That's I remember uh, when I first started, you alluded to my background in social work. My undergrad degree is in biology. So I right. got my 
bachelor's degree from the Southern University. <laughs> the <laughs> Southern University See, in I was biology. Behaving. I was behaving. Yeah, you was you was doing good. You doing good. <laughs> so, um, but in my um, master's studies, that's when I moved to social work. My uh-huh. first job was with the Department of Children and Family Services, then called uh, Social Services (DSS). Let me tell mm-hmm. you. 10 years ago, we didn't know, I didn't know, 15 years ago, I didn't know coming right out of college anything about human trafficking, but it was right there under my nose. One of my first cases cases was a young girl who was uh, a runaway. She was 13 years old. She was a runaway. Her mom could not keep, uh, keep hold of her. She was running away to her biological father. Her mom introduced her at the age of 12 years old to her biological father. When she first met her dad, he raped her, then made her his sex slave. She became Mm. his girlfriend at the tender age of 12 years old. This was my first case. So when I met her as a young social worker, all I knew was that she would get dressed up for him. She, If she knew he was coming to the office before he was arrested to have a visit, she would doll herself up because she was used to being his sex slave. She was used to being trafficked by him. He made her, her biological father, made her go from abandoned home to abandoned home in Baton Rouge, oh, <laughs> in the small town right, of Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And he made her go from abandoned a home to abandon home and men and women would come in and purchase her services even he, for, so that he to support his drug habit. So wow. again, she didn't see any of the money. It, she was forced into the uh, commercial sex act. Uh, it was against her will, which are signs of human trafficking. It's forced fraud or coercion. So he made her do this. And not only that, she had to perform sexual acts with him, her biological father. Imagine 12 years old. Yes. yes and so, yes. She, yes. So she, listen to, to this. She comes to our office broken, not even knowing that she was broken. Many times victims of human trafficking don't even know that they're a victim because yes. the men are the women. They have groomed them. They have yes. made them feel like this is love. Um, and oftentimes they don't have any other resources. They are sometimes are at the bottom of the barrel. They, you know, they their basic needs are not being met. Homeless, uh, they're homeless sometimes. They need food and shelter. So they're vulnerable, and people prey on that vulnerability. So she comes to us, and again she's attached to him in an unhealthy way because he for years abused her sexually and trafficked her to support his drug habit. But here's the thing. He did all of this knowing he had full-blown HIV and AIDS, then AIDS. Wow. Wow. So I'll stop there and let you, <laughs> but that's Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, and, and those are, you know, and, and that's the, you know, the tragedy that, you know, a lot of people need to hear is, that this is not something that you hear occasionally on a documentary. You know, you see countless mm-hmm. documentaries on television, and those are all valid. But in, you know, for those of you who know, uh, you know, Baton Rouge is the capital of the state, but it is still a small place. And so for people mm-hmm. 
to say um, that that you know that happened here um, because it's, it's you know it's really it's really just un unusual for or and and maybe not as unusual as we may think, but for this kind of thing to happen in a place as small as that, everybody knows someone. Yep. Like, you don't have That's to right. the separation there. You know, everybody right. knows somebody um, that That's you know. Right. And and it is, um, you know, th- this is the tragedy of it happening in plain daylight, in plain sight yes. that we, we see yes. these. Now, um, as you know, there are a number of people that are engaged in the education system um, as teachers, as leaders that listen to these conversations week after week. And I invited you on because I, you know, I had seen, you know, in in New Orleans, I've seen so many um, posters and, you know, places that you go, you know, in the restrooms, in the the hallways, in the hotels. And they say, you know, if you suspect, you know, you don't, you can call anonymously, you know, just, yeah. Um, and I, and I, that's when I knew, you know, this is a real problem in Louisiana. And I imagine yeah. it's a problem in a lot of states where we don't know that we that people don't yeah. suspect. Um, but but what are the things that are uh, does your office do training um, for the recognition? Yeah. Um, tell me some of the things you do to help people spot um, uh, vulnerable populations that are being trafficked. So our office works closely with the First Lady's office who just launched, we just launched the state's first statewide human trafficking campaign, which is called Stop Trafficking Louisiana. Human trafficking is R-E-A-L. Human trafficking is real. And that real one, it means letting the world know and letting folks around this state and country know human trafficking is real. But it also stands for recognizing the signs educating others, acting immediately and telling someone and listening and supporting victims. And so we are launching this campaign to do just that, to educate people on recognizing the signs. We are hosting medical uh, trainings with medical providers across the state. We had a meeting with all university presidents or their designee, their designated staff, to get this information to every college, every uh, post-secondary institute across the state. Um, hospitals, again, that we have partnerships with Our Lady of the Lake, Oshner. We just had a training on Friday, um, Aetna, uh, Better Health. We're doing trainings in every area. Everybody, anybody who reaches out to our office, we're setting up trainings with um, law enforcement. We have partnerships with law enforcement. We are pounding the pavement to get this information out. You know, um, during COVID and prior to COVID, um, online solicitation was very, very common. Um, Mm -hmm. Children coming up missing because of um, being recruited online, online ads, um, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of those social media platforms where – traffickers know they can go on and find some of these young children who are um, seeking love and relationships. Well, when COVID hit, school became virtual, right? And so children now had more access to Internet and more access to these online platforms. 
So we um, began to pick up the pace, basically, in getting this information out there, partnerships with our child advocacy centers, uh, DARE, who goes into the schools and do um, education. They We trained um, DARE. They held training with all of their DARE offices to incorporate some of this information about human trafficking so that this information can penetrate and get into the schools. Sure, sure. So so now, I mean, I'm glad, really glad to hear you say that, and that that's such a, um, a relief to know that um, you're doing these trainings and, you know, you've been trained um, in social work and you, and I imagine that, you know, part of your job before you, you had an eye and you were looking for certain signs. Um, what mm-hmm. are some of the things that, how this generally shows up in schools? That, that, that's the first thing I want to know is that I'm sure you've probably had cases where you've had mm-hmm. um, a teacher or a principal maybe just call and say, I don't know if there's anything to this, but. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to look into this situation. What What does that mm-hmm. look like when when um, a child shows up at school and they're suspected to be uh, a victim of uh, human trafficking? Mm-hmm. We uh, we have a council with uh, survivors of human trafficking, and they educate us a lot. And they have told us the times where they were in school while being in the life of trafficking and were missed. And so mm. we, when we reach out to educators and teachers, we help, we use the, um, those stories to help them understand what this looks like. And some of the things, so a, a victim of trafficking, if they're presenting at school, oftentimes, sometimes the traffickers will withhold them from school, but sometimes they will allow them to go to school to keep the uh, from being suspicious, um, to kind of make the victim continue to have a normal, a quote-unquote normal life. But sometimes that student, if they're at school and if they're withdrawn, if they're seemingly confused, showing signs of mental or physical abuse, if the teacher says, um, hey, you, you look like you're not getting enough rest, I think I may reach out to your um, to your family, you know, your caregiver, your mom or, or one of your family members, and that student insists on them not reaching out, something may be wrong because mm-hmm. oftentimes the traffickers um, will threaten the student will threaten um, the victim to say, hey, if you tell anybody, you know, if, if anybody contacts me or contacts your family, you know, so they're often um, not able to reach out to family. If the person mm-hmm. is fearful, timid, overly submissive, so if a, a person comes to a parent conference that's not their parent or that is their parent and that student or child seems overly submissive, if they call them a daddy and they're not their biological father, hmm, <laughs> you know, why are you calling yeah. this person that you're saying is your friend daddy? Or, you yeah. know, um, let's see some other ones. Um, again, just very uh, withdrawn or acting out. You know, we, we often yeah. help teach about being trauma-informed. Look into it. If a kid is acting out, lashing out, angry, showing over overly aggressive behavior, look into it. What are they seeing at home or what are they what are they experiencing? Let me I will tell you the numbers and the rate of uh children and youth, young adults being trafficked by their family is increasing. 
Mm. Familial or what we call family facilitated trafficking is real. What what am I saying? So a mom may traffic her her son or daughter to pay rent. So she's selling them. She's making them do uh, sexual acts with whomever so that she can get money to pay rent. Um, We have heard of children with uh, brands or tattoos on their arm. Pay attention. Educators can pay attention to odd-looking tattoos. Why do you have this person's name? Or what does this mean? I see this tattoo. If they cannot explain that tattoo or if they're hesitant to explain that tattoo, that may be a sign that they're in the life. Um, Traffickers have had the same brand on them as on their parents. So if a mom and daughter has the same tattoo, they could likely be trafficked, um, have the same pimp or trafficker. Sure, sure. And we yeah. have heard about that. Yes, mm-hmm. we have heard about that happening um, in, at local schools um, here. And so that is, that's not a, a hypothetical situation. That is, there have been cases here locally of children in, in the same high school with the same brands as their parent, which is a sign oh, wow. of yeah. they're in the lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so why particularly Louisiana? So, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think it was a documentary or maybe it was kind of uh, one of these news, um, limited series of news, and I, I saw where um, there's, kind of um, a pipeline, if you will, of mm-hmm. human trafficking mm-hmm. that is happening through southeastern Texas. So there's a border, yes. and it comes up, yes. then it goes up through Houston, and I saw the line. It kind of went up through Louisiana, across mm-hmm. over to Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was just wondering, so what are you finding? Are you finding that most of these cases that you have in Louisiana are part of kind of some out of state pipeline or are they home, you know, home cultivated? Homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Many of, although we have had cases of of victims that have been trafficked uh, across state lines, we've seen Mm -hmm. that the I-10, I-20 corridor, I-10, which goes through, mm -hmm, and I-20, the Dallas area. Um, But those corridors, you know, are very, are common for victims being trafficked through state, across state lines. Uh However, in many of our residential facilities, especially one that um, houses juvenile victims, female victims of trafficking, those victims were were trafficked right here in our state. Hmm. So either by their by their own family or by a perpetrator in this state. So they weren't necessarily trafficked across lines. However, there have been cases of victims, human smuggling, that's common, coming from uh, Texas through uh, Louisiana. So all of those are very common as well. And just to hear you mention families, I mean, it's just kind of hard to believe. I mean, I I, I know that you're telling the truth, but it's just so hard to believe Mm -hmm. And that's what happens a lot of the time. Um, and I've heard stories of, uh, of those kinds of uh, relationships that, that uh, where certainly from a child abuse perspective, it happens. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen statistics about 
whether, you know, who it is, it's likely to be someone that's a person in their, in their family, that's right. Uh, right. someone that's close to them. Um, and um, so my next question was where I started around um, other kinds of human trafficking um, that has happened um, that, that doesn't necessarily involve children, but does too, is uh, has children, but, but also the one that has around labor, forced labor. I know this is a big yes. problem in some areas of California. Yes. Um, I would imagine Louisiana, too, because of the you know, agricultural and um, sure. aquaculture that happens in yes. Louisiana, is, do you see much of that where adults uh, are being trafficked um, because they are here illegally? Tell me a little bit about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So we've seen cases of several cases of forced labor. You know, here in Louisiana, we have hurricanes and storms and many natural disasters. Sometimes they hit back to back, right? Where when that damage happens and there's a need for uh, construction and rebuilding and, you know, all of those things, businesses and companies come from the outside uh, to get those contracts. And what happens is they begin to recruit and look for people, uh, laborers. And so what do they do? They find those who have language barriers. They find those who are vulnerable, and they make them promises um, that they do not keep. And those that's when we see those cases of labor trafficking spike. And then oftentimes we don't, we, we, they never come to our attention, too. Um, again, traffickers are, they are skilled in finding those people who are very vulnerable in such that they don't even know how to report that they're a victim. So imagine you have those with those language barriers. They don't speak English, and they're, um, they're promised to be paid $20 an hour. They're promised a housing. Well, then they become um, in, into debt bondage because the, they, they say, well, no, you owe us. We, we helped you to come over here, or we, we promised you these wages, but we're not going to pay you anything. There are cases being litigated right now where folks were promised wages and were never paid, never compensated. Mm. Um, wow. Money taken, 20 and 15 and 20 people living in one place, taken yes. and uh, bused to a job site, never provided those resources. Illicit massage parlors is yes. another um, common way that people are being engaged into labor trafficking. Yes, yes. yes, and I, you know, I um, certainly um, saw in the same um, documentary where, you know, it's, it's easy in some places because of, you know, the where they are. So talking mm-hmm. about on, mm-hmm. on farms, where there are not a lot of people checking those. And I would That's imagine, right. yeah, during COVID that that got even more difficult. But, you know, one thing that is really disturbing, though, because I heard of a major case, and you may remember this, this was before COVID, but there was a big labor um, uh, case in Mississippi um, in the Jackson area, and it was like, a, a, you know, a, a, not a farm, but a something in industry and um, they, so they, they found these people and they, you know, it was the, um, I, the immigration police um, uh-huh. did a raid 
you know, they did a raid and they had uh-huh. all these legal, um, I should say, undocumented people um, mm-hmm. were living mm-hmm. and staying there. And what was most disturbing was that, so it was, they, yes, they were undocumented, but that they were arrested and deported and no one was brought up on charges. That's that correct. had worked there. And so I, I, I don't understand that. So that's what are we what are we doing and certainly in the state of Louisiana, what's happening so that there's accountability? So whether it's people who don't have the appropriate documents to remain and work in the US or um or being trafficked, um, how how is it that these people get off and what what's being done to hold people accountable? Yes, so that's um, a main goal that's a part of the mission of this office, uh, to promote healing and justice for victims and survivors. And that justice means just that, you know. We want to help make sure that those traffickers are found and are held accountable. And so we are working with our um, state police and our law enforcement entities, as well as district attorneys and the Association of Attorneys, you know, to find out what are the gaps in evidence? What do we need to show to prove this force fraud or coercion? What, what do we need? Because the number of victims compared to the number of numbers of arrests and prosecution are not matching up. They're too disproportionate. And yeah. so you're exactly right that we there are gaps. <laughs> there there are there are huge gaps. And victims deserve justice. You know? Mm-hmm. But but here's the deal. You mentioned you mentioned the perpetrators, the business owners. Those yes. people are often wealthy and they are in power. Yeah. Yes, and so yes. when we talk about the power dynamic of those in power and those in poverty, you get what I'm saying? And so we yes, are yes. now trying to we are now trying to really help people to understand even though they are not the ones in power, they still deserve justice. And what yes. what can we do to support that? What are the what do we need? <laughs> what what pieces of evidence? How do you know? How do we have trauma-informed investigations so that victims are um, so that they feel heard and supported, and that's a part of our campaign as well. Yeah, no, that's that's encouraging to hear. And I guess, like you know, I know we're running out of time, but I, you know, I'm just uh, first again, thank you for the work that you're doing and and making sure that these um, children and families. Uh, have uh, the di- dignity they deserve as human beings, um, mm-hmm. not to be, not to be sold. Um, and and what, mm-hmm. what is most troubling to me is that we're in the wealthiest country in the world and that there are still people who, are, who don't have the means to survive. And a lot of what mm-hmm. ends up happening is whether, you know, there are parents or family members or others, so there are drug problems, but also mm-hmm. um, people are doing this because out of some need to survive in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. not forget mm-hmm. that it's not, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't mean that they just put them out for sex work um, or mm-hmm. for labor, but that, that in a lot of cases people are making very difficult decisions 
um, whether yeah. we're talking about just selling children, small children, because they mm-hmm. don't have the means to means. Uh, right. take care of them, right? Um, That's right. And so, and so in Louisiana, at least, do, is there one ethnic group? I mean, we know poverty is kind of the common denominator, right? Is that it's often yeah. um, people who are poor. So are there ethnic groups? Are there any other, you know, kind of demographics that people would benefit to know? Look, these are not that you ignore other signs, but these are also mm-hmm. some characteristics of people Surprisingly, our data here in Louisiana shows um, equal, almost equal percentage of 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 Caucasian victims versus African American. Um, You know, we have a larger number of female victims. Eighty nine percent of our victims are female versus nine percent male. However, black and white. Our Hispanic, Latino, we have 45%. Our data shows 45% um, Caucasian and 41% of African-American victims. Uh, and so, and, and that's been consistent across the years. Um, we have not seen a huge um, um, disparity among blacks or whites or um, it's just been that female-male thing. So we've not seen okay. as many males report, even though we know there are male victims, but mm-hmm. male victims don't come forth as much because of the stigma and the shame associated with it. But we right. are hearing more and more of male victims. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I, I mean, this has been such an informative conversation, and um, I will certainly be in touch with you because I um, would love for you to do a um, a workshop, and we'll talk about, because uh, I have a number of, of aspiring leaders um, of, of schools around the country, but right in Louisiana, uh, awesome. planning to be school leaders. And so I think this is something that they would benefit from and, you know, would love to have your office do uh, um, a training on uh, human trafficking prevention. And um, so I'll be in touch with you with that. And I'm, I'm sure that there's somebody out there, you know, while this was a brief conversation, um, I'm sure you'll probably hear from some, from some others that have, um, have learned a lot from you as well. Um, so we'll continue. I just want to encourage you to continue. I know it's difficult work. The stories are mm-hmm. heartbreaking. And um, mm-hmm. I just want to encourage you to, you know, um, to uh, stay strong in that fight. This is uh, worthwhile work to, as I said earlier, to uh, return people to their dignity and uh, mm-hmm. as, as human beings mm-hmm. that they deserve. Um, and so um, I, could, I would I, like to, if I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to ask just, you if I you could, had any okay. I'm sorry. We. I was going to ask if you had any place for where people might, you know, reach out to you, phone numbers, tags, you know, where they can follow, get in touch with you, or anything. Please feel free to share it. Sure. They can always contact me at my office uh, through email, Dana D A N A dot Hunter H U N T E R at L A dot G O V. They can visit um, our statewide website for human trafficking at humantrafficking.la.gov. 
which includes basic information on human trafficking, an interactive website. It was developed by um, survivors as well, and so they can always visit that website. Okay. And I'd just like to say it's important. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say it's just so important for us to to not think that anyone is uh, safe from becoming a victim. We have seen victims from every walk of life um, be recruited into the life of human trafficking. So, you know, rich, poor, it, anyone is is susceptible to becoming a victim of trafficking, and traffickers know that. And so there was a student, last I'll just share, there was a student at a uh, community college here in our state and she had never been out of town on a uh, out of state before so her roommate offered her an all expense paid for trip uh for spring break so she took that trip and immediately to Las Vegas and immediately was brought into the life was slapped beaten her phone was taken and she never returned back until she was rescued from the life. And so it's just important for all of us to stay vigilant, to educate our children, our family members, that no one is safe, um, no one is is um, excluded from becoming a victim. So it's just very important. I, I, I so appreciate you giving me this platform to share. Well, my pleasure, and I'll be watching and continue um to um, to follow you and the work that you're doing. And as I said, we'll be in touch. Um, but until then, um, and we have a chance to talk, go well, stay well. Thank you so very much, and you do the same.